Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 165, recorded May 3rd, 2014. So today we get caught up to date on Star Trek Ongoing. Issues 30, 31, 32. Yes, right. Back to the J.J. Abrams universe thing. Right. Yeah, and so this is the beginning of May. A lot of J.J. Abrams talk in the news here of late. Yes. I wish more of it was for Star Trek, but... Yeah, I wish yeah. any of it was for Star Trek, but yeah, whatever. He's washed his hands of Star Trek. Yes, he has. His production company hasn't, but he has. Darn you, J.J. Not that I'm not looking forward to the Star Wars stuff, but still. Star Trek's number one for me. Right. Well, I like Star Trek a lot, but I've always had a softer spot in my heart for Star Wars, which makes me a little sad because I really like the J.J. Abrams reboot of the Star Trek universe, and I'm not liking what he's doing with the Star Wars, you know, continuity decisions. <sighs> yeah, can, you, can, you, can you hear the flushing sound in the background? Yeah. Yes. 30 years worth of reading and playing games and everything that all fit into one cohesive universe that spans thousands of years of Star Trek lore. I mean, yeah. Star Wars lore. Because Gone. George Lucas and his company made sure of that. I mean, they put a lot of effort into the full continuity across many different types of media, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. they, they right. had a guy there. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't George Lucas himself, but he did have, George Lucas did have a final say-so. So, like, if the comic book or the video game wanted to do something with a particular character, and he had it in the back of his mind that eventually if he did make sequels with Luke, that wouldn't jive, so he would nix that story or this story. And then he even brought in characters that were introduced in the comic books into the prequels and, you know... It all fit. And right. now they're saying, if it wasn't in the first six movies and it wasn't in the Clone Wars TV show, it didn't happen. Well, so there you go. That, that, it's, a, it's a little sore, little sore subject for me right now. Right. Well, it does give J.J. and his production company a chance to do what they like to do without a lot of manacles as far as where they can go and can't go. But... What did I do? Also, you know, Lucas doesn't have control anymore. I mean, he sold it off. He got his... I forgot what he sold it for, but oh my God. He's a very rich man. Right. <laughs> he was a very rich man. Good Lord. Yes. But he's still a consultant on it, so it's not yeah. like he doesn't have any say-so in it. Right. And, you know, when J.J. rebooted the Star Trek universe, I liked the way he did it. it made sense. And you still had that... They fudged around with it a little bit, but I think, for the most part, anything that happened before Kelvin in the Star Trek Prime-type universe, Enterprise and things like that, technically still happened. Right. Where, where now, with Star Wars, meh, it's all gone. And we're not even going to have the you know well, convenience of a time-travel-type alternate dimension to explain why it's all gone. <laughs> uh. <laughs> right. Well, I don't say it's all gone, because it's there from the first six movies, but I know what you mean. Yes. Right. Right. Well, I mean, like I said, 
books and comic books, they went hundreds of years after Empire Strikes or Return of the Jedi. So yeah. I know what Luke's kids' kids do. Yeah. But now that's all gone. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's all gone, kid. I'm sorry, Donnie. <laughs> I just find it funny that, you know, the whole time we've been doing this podcast, you know, 165 episodes, that was the one thing that I always applauded Star Wars for and kind of thought that Star Trek always missed the ball was that every time the comic book changed publishers, brand new continuity, even one time it was still with the same publisher, but they moved it from volume one to volume two, they rebooted the continuity. You know, I was always thought that, you know, that was what Star Trek was missing was a cohesive narrative that Star Wars always had and then... You know, they just made those first 165 episodes of our show where I said that null and void because now Star Wars is doing the same thing. Yeah. Well. All right. Practical so. reasons for it, so there you go. And, right. and quite frankly, most people like me that have not have read almost no Star Wars comics or other kinds of things that would have all of this, you know, hundreds of years worth of history. It's like if they tried to work their way around that, it's like people like me wouldn't know what the heck they're talking about. Agreed. I get. But I get it. I get it. You don't like it, though. Exactly. I don't like. Yeah. It. yeah I don't. But I'll it. still go see the movie. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good. Because I, I, I think it'll be good. But we'll see. Right. Just, just tone down the lens flares. And, right. Uh... <laughs> so I saw one article that said something that uh, they're going to have a. The script has a bigger focus on Han Solo than Leia and Luke. So, I don't know whether that's just rumor or not, but I guess uh, Harrison Ford is the bigger star, so who knows. And I like that character a lot, but I like the other characters, too. Right. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, and I, I, I've read, you know, that Harrison Ford said he would only be in the movie if he dies, so... <laughs> that's in the early days, when they were first announcing that kind of stuff. I remember that. Right. But I, I still think that it might be true. So if if he does have a bigger part, then I'm thinking of that he's going to have a bigger part in the first one because he's not going to be in anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, because he's not I think, a Jedi, so he won't show up as a ghost. No. <laughs> when he's dead, he's dead. I would I would hope. Right. Anyway, I would I mean, just until for they continuity it and cast him as a younger guy. Well, compl- that is completely a possibility, but that doesn't seem to be the direction they're going in. Okay, should All we get back to Star Trek though? Yeah. So we're we're talking about JJ's other. Reboot of a beloved Star Trek or Star sci-fi franchise. Right. So these issues I thought were pretty good. There's not a lot of detail in them. No. So they're, they're kind of fast reads, but, you know, we get to finish off the parallel universe story from last episode, and then we get a two-parter called I Enterprise. Right. Which had some interesting bits. Yeah, the I Enterprise, well, how about we read them and then we can talk about them? Because <laughs> I have things to say about both of them, but... But yeah, they were pretty quick reads, I thought. Right. And I think some of the best things about the parallel lives, uh, you know, the, uh, the she, she trek, is that they explored interesting things or interesting possibilities with the premise, but then I don't think the story was that great, but whatever. Well, let's, let's get on with it and find All right. out. All right, sure. All right, so I get the... Uh... All right, so the first issue we're talking about today is issue 30. This came out on February 2014, written by Mike Johnson, story consultant Roberto Orki, art by Yasmin Ling, colors by Zach Atkinson, letterer Gilberto Lascano, 
and editor is Sarah GLaDOS. And this is Parallel Lives Part 2 of 2. The main cover shows all of the main crew of the Enterprise kind of in a diamond formation, all with phasers drawn. But it's the alternate universe, so it's the female versions of Kirk, Spock, Sulu, Chekhov, McCoy, and Scotty. And then the male version of Uhura. And they're all standing kind of above a depiction of the Starship Enterprise kind of flying towards you with uh, glowing red nacelles. The uh, photo cover is just a cell from In the Darkness with Uhura on Kronos holding the blaster or phaser, disruptor, whatever it was. All right, so the story starts off somewhere in unknown space. Two mighty starships face off against each other, nose to nose almost. One with glowing red nacelles and the other one with blue. The male and female versions of Captain Kirk are getting to know one another via the main screen on their respective bridges. The differences in their names are pointed out. One is James Tiberius Kirk and the other one is Jane Tiberia Kirk. They both agree that this is a unique opportunity and that it's too great to pass up. So James Kirk will be taking his versions of Ahura, Scotty, McCoy, and Spock over to the other Enterprise via shuttle so that they can meet their doppelgangers in person. While the shuttle is in transit, male versions of Sulu and Chekhov discuss the situation on a somewhat empty bridge. Suddenly, there's a communication from the other Enterprise. Even stranger, the voice is speaking Russian. Chekhov responds, and we find out that it is the female Chekhov, and she is just checking in to see if she had a counterpart as well. Overwhelmed, she simply says, wow, in Russian, which is a lot longer than wow, which is a lot longer than just three letters. All right, so back on the alternate Enterprise, the conference room is filled with duplicate versions of the crew that traveled over there. To make it simple, each person is sitting directly in front of their mirror version. Female Kirk wants to discover how they got there and where exactly they are. Are they still in their universe? Are they in the male counterpart's universe? Are they somewhere else? She wants to figure that out. She also wants to find a way to get back since they don't know how much longer the anomaly is going to be open. Male Kirk disagrees, and he wants to compare their exploration logs so that they could both learn as much from what the other one has done and seen on their mission. The Spocks, however, seem fascinated in the similarities that they share with their relationships with Uhura and her male counterpart. Finally, the two Kirks agree that they need to investigate the anomaly. Each crew member will work with their own counterpart, and the meeting is adjourned. As the Kirks are leaving the meeting, they discuss their pasts. They both had one parent that was killed aboard the Kelvin, And this common event in their lives seemed to allow them to see eye to eye and they stopped trying to one-up themselves. In engineering, male Scotty is shocked on how messy everything is. He even makes a crack that he thought women were the tidier gender. He is also introduced to Kinzira, the female version of Kinzira. Suddenly, everyone is knocked off their feet. Both Sulus inform their captains that the two ships have been pulled back into the storm. Male Kirk states that it is time for him to return to his ship. Female Kirk points out that they will never be able to use the transporter, so they'll need to return back on their shuttle. Meanwhile, in the hallway, 
The two Spocks and Ahura are attacked by three Klingons wearing Klingon variations of the Starfleet uniform. As quick as they appear, they then vanish. Ahura states that they were saying something about the Spocks and her being the intruders on their ship. Spock speculates that the storm is dipping into alternate dimensions. The Spocks part ways, and Ahura and the male Spock head off to the shuttle bay at top speed. As Mail Kirk is heading towards the shuttle bay, there is a flash of light, and a mirror version Shatner Kirk appears. He demands to know what's happening to his ship. The Shatner Kirk and the Pine Kirk face off, and then suddenly the Shat is gone. In engineering, the two Scotties are joined within a sudden flash by Jordy LaForge. He says that he's trying to get his warp core online, and then he too vanishes. So this proves that the anomaly is not only bending dimensions, but it is also somehow bending time, since Geordi is much later in the timeline than these events are supposed to be. The shuttle makes its perilous journey back to the correct Enterprise. Chekhov informs his captain that he and his female counterpart have devised a way to return home. The two Scotties are given a task to perform to make some modifications to the engine, with that done, and an order from the two Kirks to make it so, the two ships jump into warp and return to their relative dimensions. Later, the female Kirk, Spock, and McCoy contemplate the recent events. Jane Kirk states that this has proven that the limits to their adventure are truly endless. The end. Da, 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 da. Truly infinite. How nice. Well, so, did you like it? I did like this one. Good. I, I really liked all the the guest stars there towards the end, even though they only showed up for like a panel or two. Yeah. I thought those were really fun. Yeah, I, the unexpectedness of it. When the Klingons showed up, I was going, what the heck is this? Well, they're Klingons and kind of sort of Starfleet uniforms. I was like, what the heck's going on? So that was surprising. And then they upped the ante when the Shat arrived, which was kind of cool. And then, But then it was like, Jordy. What the heck's Jordy doing there? It's like, I wasn't as crazy about the Jordy one. Jordy did not make any sense. No. But the Shat showing up, loved it. Yeah, (laughs) that was cool. That was very cool. I mean, and and at first I thought, well, I'm reading too much into it. It's not Shatner. It's really Chris Pine in Shatner's uniform. But (laughs) it is Shatner. Upon closer look, it's definitely Shatner. No, there's no choice about it. It's the Shat. Which I loved. In his mirror universe outfit and everything. Right, but with the sash and... Right, and the cut-off arms and whatever. Yeah, so I was really happy on that page. And then I even liked the Klingons that in some alternate universe... It doesn't really make sense. In an alternate universe, Captain Kirk is really a Klingon. That doesn't make sense, but it doesn't necessarily say it's Captain Kirk. It could just be another captain of the Enterprise in another universe, so... Who right. knows? Exactly. Yeah, the only one that didn't fit was Geordi. That did not make sense. It's a completely different ship, completely different point in the timeline. Uh, it was. I think that might have been just fan service, and it didn't really make sense. Yeah, I think it's just a bone for the next-gen folks. Hey, look! Uh, there's Geordi. And it's, Le- it's LeVar Burton Geordi, and not whatever the reboot Geordi will end up being at some point. <laughs> in well, how, exactly. Well... Because we have absolutely no idea about that, do we? Not yet, but it'll happen. I, I don't see any way it's not going to happen. I agree <laughs> with you. 
when there's money to be made. So, anyways, but what about the overall story? Aside from the uh, guest stars, what do you think? As long as you accept the premise, which is in an alternate dimension, there's pretty much everybody's gender flipped. As long as you accept the presence and go with it, it's good. I just wouldn't want to see an ongoing... I don't know that I would want to see an ongoing comic or story like this. But I thought the two issues were fine. It was good. Right. It, it was definitely it, a lighthearted type story. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think it was totally ridiculous as far as the gobbledygook that the Chekhovs were talking. When they, had to, when they came up with the plan for getting them all back to the right dimensions, I thought that was a lot of technobabble gobbledygook. Which is fine, because really, this is just a light story that's just testing out a hypothesis, just seeing what if. So really, the, the, the idea that they were able to actually figure out how to get themselves back to their exact right dimension in an infinite number of dimensional possibilities and didn't end up in a Klingon Federation dimension, I think that would be a tough order to fill. But right. they just said, hey, don't worry about it. Uh, neutrons, uh, (laughs) tachyons, blah, blah, and here's how we did it. And they got back. So fine, great. You knew it had to happen. Uh, so. I actually liked the, I liked the explanation that, that, you you know, the ships were made in different universes and that they would have a quantum frequency attuned to that particular, uh, Oh God! Dimension, and they could use that as kind of a beacon to return home. I mean, they they did it before in ah. one of the annuals that DC did, where Scotty was able to to get the Defiant out of you know the not not the Cisco Defiant, but the Taz Defiant, yeah, uh, out of the alternate dimension that that it got sucked into, and yeah. bring it into the the Prime Dimension using a, a similar technique. So that that to me wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, well, you know, as soon as they, they explained, uh, brought Copenhagen logarithms into it, <laughs> I, I guess I should have just gone along with it. Blah, or, blah, blah. Yeah, they, they maybe they went into it a little too much, but eh, <laughs> it's I, fine. I bought it. I, I just didn't, it just seemed very abrupt. Almost as soon as he gets back to the ship, he shows, you know, female checkoff on an iPad. And then <laughs> the next the next page, Scotty's already made the changes, and they're on the way home. It's yeah. just very quick. Well, basically, they were done with exercising this possibility, right? You know, they they brought Kirk into it. They had Klingon Starfleet people. You know, they completed their fun with this particular scenario, and it was time to get back home. So, just make it happen fast, right? And by the way, female Chekhov on the iPad—that's about right. About a nine point seven inch nine pad. Uh, screen iPad. That that's exactly what it looked like. Anyway, right. Yeah. So it, it was fine. Yeah. And then both Kirks at the end say, "Punch it." So, punch it, Chewy. That's what they said. Then, <laughs> exactly. So okay. So we don't have make it so or engage. We're pretty much stuck with punch it, which seems pretty much taken from Star Wars. So it's like, yep. come on. I don't. I, 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 you know, punch it is fine. It's just, I don't know. It just somehow doesn't seem. It seems like they could have picked a better thing for Chris Pine Kirk to be saying every time the ship right. needs to go forward. Like uh, quoting Shakespeare, quoting uh, Peter Pan, something you know. Because isn't that kind of how the the, the all the Taz movies kind of ended with Kirk giving a little quote about 
space or something, and then off they went. Uh, he just never had a catchphrase. That's what I'm getting at. Oh. Well, yeah. You're right. Uh, yeah, he never had a, a consistent... I guess now that you mention it, no. Yeah, I guess he didn't. Although, I could, didn't he say one that was kind of cool? Uh, Get a life? That was, no. that was a sad No, I, I, Out there. That away. Or whatever. He just said, out that way. Go. Yeah, whatever. Right. In one, at the end of one of the movies. Anyways, my beef with this comic, it is supposed to be a lighthearted comic. It is supposed to be kind of their equivalent of, you know, like a Trouble with Tribbles type episode. It's supposed to be more fun than, than makes sense. But I didn't like how they depicted the two Spocks. I mean, here you have your most brilliant people on both ships. Right. And they're in the conference room to talk about what the heck is happening. And all they're fascinated with is that each one has a relationship with a different human. Right. And... You know, things like that. And and, and and it's played for laughs because both the Hora and her male counterpart are just like, oh, God, don't, don't, very, don't mention that. Very uncomfortable. That. Yeah. You know, which is funny. But uh, it just seemed odd that, they, that they're preoccupied with who's having a relationship with who. Right. Do you think they'd be talking about more about quantum storms and temporal knots right. than uh, dating? Exactly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. And really, I, I thought the stories were fine, and I had mentioned my problem earlier. So, <laughs> and, and uh, it didn't explain why. But if everything is exactly the same, why is the nacelles on one Enterprise blue and the other one red? Just so that we know that there's a difference. I did not notice that. Oh, you didn't notice that. I did not notice that. So you're saying the uh, the front parts of yeah, the uh, right. nacelles, the, the little glowy bits. And okay. also the the engine exhaust type. Oh, good point. Good point. Now I'm looking at them in the same shot. There is uh, blue and red. See, that wasn't even necessary. Because <laughs> I didn't even notice it. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yes. They they did it. Anyway, I thought that was unnecessary. And then um, my last comment is just kind of a funny picture. And unfortunately, the pages aren't numbered. So on the page that the, the chat shows up, yeah. You want to thumb over to that. When Kirk's running down the hallway saying, excuse me, coming through. Right. He has his fist balled and one's up. And then behind him is like a silhouette of a woman. Looks like she just got punched in the face. So it kind of looks like he just cold cocked her in the head. Do you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see that. I mean, obviously he didn't. But it's just funny the the way she's kind of like being thrown back and his fist is kind of right up there where her face would be. Right. But she's completely in silhouette for some reason. Yeah, exactly. Why? I guess it depends upon the light exactly, but it can't physically just show a shadow. I mean, from that angle, you should be seeing a person. Right. Did they just want to get past that panel real fast? <laughs> so they didn't bother <laughs> filling it in with detail, just made it a shadow? I don't know. I don't know, maybe the artist really drew in this face with the big black eye, like he really just punched her, and they're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta shade through that. <laughs> we gotta back off on that. Yeah, I don't know. And then in the, when the shad actually shows up, Chris Pine's Kirk is, is in the same shadow. Even though behind him and in front of him, completely visible, well-lighted, yeah. but he's completely dark. But was that supposed to be for dramatic effect? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. But again, it doesn't make sense if it was a picture. Right. Yeah, like a photograph. A real right. photograph. Photograph, right. right. Yeah, right, right. Gotcha. 
Anyways, well, looking at looking at these pages again, I think it's pretty convenient how some of these people are popping in for a few seconds and popping back out again. Right. Yeah, they got a lot of a lot of cast members to cycle through because <laughs> we'll probably never see the female versions again. Right. Yeah, I kind of like the first issue better than this one because the first issue, you know, was set entirely in the the alternate universe, and we right. actually got to know a little bit about all of them. Where here. There's really no character development. It's all just pointing out differences, and the closest thing you get is the Scotties kind of giving each other a hard time about how messy the engineering is. Right. So it's the <laughs> so Scotty's making comments about what a messy uh, engineering section she keeps, and I thought girls were supposed to be neat. Right. Yeah, that's funny. I kind of like that. Put a little sexist stuff in there too. That's good. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was that was the sexist part. which had there was a lot in the first issue not as much in this one but in the first issue it really bothered me more yeah especially in that scene with the admiral right where supposedly in a world where most of the women run things there's still issues with women starfleet captains i don't see how i agree yeah right all right well anything else for this one one last thing okay looking back at the page that has kirk the Shatkirk? In the, the Shatkirk, yeah. With the uh, Mirror Mirror Universe episode, I'm pretty sure Shatner's outfit didn't have any sleeves. Okay. Did he? Or did uh, he? I don't remember. Okay, well. He definitely has sleeves in this one. It's not... The uniform has sleeves, so... If I am misremembering, I am sorry, but I think it's a possible point of... Uh, and you don't think that continuity. Mirror, Mirror Universe could have more than one shirt? I, I don't... Are you going to bring that up? So it's another it's another mirror universe dimension where they had sleeves, where Shat had sleeves? No, I'm saying he just, in that mirror universe, he had some tunics that had sleeves and some tunics that didn't. Today, he just happened to be wearing the long sleeve. He was a little chilly. <laughs> okay, whatever. Maybe, you know, maybe he hadn't worked out the guns as much as he wanted to and he's trying to hide <laughs> them a bit. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just pointing out. Right. So that's the last thing I have to say about this one. Yeah, all right. Same here. So bye-bye, Ladyverse. I hope we see it again. And I hope that they bring the, uh, the Shatner uh, Mirror Universe. I mean, now that the, they've, they've acknowledged that it exists, we could have that universe, that Mirror Universe, uh, crossover into this universe. Because they already kind of did the Mirror Universe episode, but, but this establishes that the true Shatner Universe does exist somewhere. Right. Which makes sense, because that particular thread was played out, so, as we all know. And we could also have him interacting with the true Shatner, the Prime Universe. Yes, at least in the comics. In the comics. Yeah. Yes, right. Couldn't do it in the movies. Yeah, then that Kirk could be like, my dad didn't die on the Kelvin, what are you talking about? And we have these really crappy looking tunics, and yours look all cool and slick. Anyways, all right. Shall we move on? Let's go to the next one. Uh, This begins a new arc, issue number 31, entitled, and this one has a title, yay, I Enterprise, Part 1. Published date, March 2014. Writer is Mike Johnson. Story consultant, Roberto Orki. Art is by Arfan Fajar. Colors by Sakti Yowono of Stellar Labs. Letterer, Robbie Robbins. Editor, Sarah Gatos. 
The prime cover shows the Enterprise streaking through space and Kirk's head and shoulders in a Starfleet swoosh. The title, I, Enterprise, Part 1 of 2, is at the bottom of the page. Art by Gary Gastony and colors by Sakti Yowono of Stellar Labs. The subscription cover is a photo of Science Officer 0718 from In the Darkness. The issue opens with Science Officer 0718 at his station running the Enterprise and explaining his role on the ship. He is the first and only human mainframe interface. He monitors all the real-time processes executed by the ship's computers. He alerts the captain to any changes in the ship's automated systems and alerts him to potential complications. He has been called the brain of the organism that is the Enterprise. Like any organism, it is made up of many parts that all perform critical functions and in doing so consumes portions of the ship's finite resources. For the organism and all who depend on her to survive and thrive, he must be ever vigilant. 0718 prefers to spend his off hours in the ship's botanical gardens contemplating how plants and computational pathways are infinitely unique. However, how their structure is very similar in the level of complexity. 0718 continues to contemplate how limitless and surprising life is, which reminds him of an incident that took place two years, 27 days, 43 minutes, and seven seconds ago. The narration goes back to events that happened shortly before events in Star Trek Into Darkness. The Enterprise encounters a perfect spheroid, that is planet-sized and made of an unknown material. Its absolute geometrical perfection indicates it was more the result of intentional design than natural occurrence, but without a closer look, they can tell no more. Kirk agrees to send down a landing party to the surface. The surface is perfectly smooth and black. Security officer Zara is on guard due to the absolute silence. Chekhov reports his tricorder is picking up a faint energy reading coming from the surface. Spock reports not only is there an energy reading coming from it, but also a flow of energy into it, almost like the object is breathing the solar wind from the local star and exhaling waste radiation. Uhura calls down to the captain, reporting noise from the surface that started immediately after they arrived on the surface. Static mostly, but inside the static is a repeating signal. The static increases until communications with the ship is interrupted. Kirk makes the call to get back to the ship and analyze what they have, overriding Spock and Chekhov's desire to stay and complete the survey. Back on the ship, Spock tells Chekhov that the ship's computer has isolated his uploaded tricorder data from the away mission. Normally, the computer would not do that with a known source of uploaded data like Spock's tricorder. Chekhov says he will hold off uploading his tricorder data for now in case there is something the tricorder's picked up on the surface that is a cause for alarm. Meanwhile, in engineering, Scotty is flustered with the computer's behavior. It is not accepting his commands. Critical systems are behaving fine, but the unexplained disruption is spreading. Spock theorizes his tricorder did pick something up on the surface. Scene cuts to the bridge, where Uhura is telling Kirk she thinks the sphere is trying to communicate with them. She can't prove it yet or interpret what it might be saying, but Chekhov theorizes that they might have a sentient planet. Just then, the ship goes to red alert all by itself. 
Sula reports the shields have raised by themselves, and photon torpedoes are arming and preparing to fire. Kirk orders an Alpha-1 override of the torpedo launch control. Suddenly, the torpedoes disarm and shield power goes back to 50%. A few minutes later, the computer is reporting warp core breach imminent. The saucer section's separation cycle begins. Kirk attempts to halt it, all through voice command, but it does not work. Left with no other options, Scotty and Spock get ready to initiate a full core shutdown. Before they do it, Scotty says the computer was compromised, but for some reason, he has control back. He reverses the saucer section separation cycle. Without warning, electrical discharges come out of the control panel Scotty was working at. The prickly engineer is thrown back away from the panel. Mr. Spock comes to his aid and reports to the captain. Spock and Kirk bring the still-unconscious Scotty to sickbay. Dr. McCoy gives Scotty a quick scan and confirms there is no sign of trauma. He should recover. McCoy turns his and everyone else's attention to the other side of sickbay, where a surgery bay is locked down and glowing with unusual light. All on its own, it's pumping synthetic tissue and carbon filaments into the empty unit. Kirk tells McCoy the central computer has gone haywire. As Kirk brings the good doctor up to speed, he finally says maybe they need to shut the power off to the surgery bay. Unfortunately, that option is rendered moot when a fully formed, hairless, humanoid male emerges from the surgical bed. He greets the captain, Commander Spock, and Dr. McCoy by names he apparently knows well. Kirk asks who he is. The newcomer responds, I am the Enterprise. To be continued. He is the Enterprise. He is the Enterprise. As played by who? Uh, oh, the actor? No, I'm just saying, he he, he reminds me of uh, Dr. Manhattan. From- oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, co- yeah, totally. So he's all white. He is bald. He's fairly muscular. And I had the same reaction. Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> Funny. At least he's still getting work these days. <laughs> So that last scene with the Enterprise taking on a humanoid form and that whole process, did that remind you of a movie or two? Oh, yeah. Well, it reminded me of The Watchmen. Okay. Aside from that, any other ones? <sighs> uh, that type of effect I've seen before, like in horror movies and things, but exactly which ones, uh, I don't know. Well, which ones do you have in mind? Well, the the, the whole creating uh, a brand new body out of a in a vat like that or or stasis tube or whatever that's supposed to be right uh it's almost exactly the way they did it in uh, the fifth element i don't know if you remember that movie but oh yeah i remember it they were able to save an arm from a or a hand from an alien and then with that they were able to you know create the bone structure and the muscle structure and the everything until eventually it was Milia hovovich uh so that 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 kind of reminded me of that. And then the other one was Star Trek The Motion Picture. When when Elia, or whatever her name was, Elia was created, the robotic version of her. Ah. This really reminded me of that, too. That, yeah. And uh, we'll talk more about it next next issue. But, I mean, here, the synthetic version that, that looks human is really the Enterprise, whereas in Star Trek, Inter- Star Trek The Motion Picture... She looked like Ilya, but she was really V'ger. Right. 
So I, I, I see a lot of um, the motion picture in these two comics and mm. then with little nods to Watchmen and Fifth Element and things like that. Right. Yeah, I didn't really make that connection with the motion picture. But now that you mention it, I do see that. And of course what we're speaking of, for those of you that may not have ready access to the comic, is basically a bone stru- a, a skeletal structure with no head yet that has a bunch of red flesh kind of ribbons forming itself around the skeleton. So, Right. Right. Yeah, so it yeah, looks I, like the... Yeah, especially with the hand and stuff, it looks like it's just like inching on there little by little. Right. So I, I, that is a part that I found... There are many things I find difficult to swallow about this comic and the next one, but, and quite frankly, things that at least confuse me about the true nature of 0718... I mean, I kind of like the character. It's interesting that the computer is given physical form, but after everything is said and done by the end of these two issues, I just sit there just wondering, this is a very confusing entity. It's like, do they really need this character here? Uh, but I guess it's good to have him there. I mean, uh, I, I, I thought as we go forward, he's kind of part data, but he's not He's not really an android. He's kind of part Dr. Manhattan, definitely the way he looks. So he's kind of an amalgamation of multiple things. And, of course, the original... I'll get off my rant in a minute. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the original uh, Star Trek computer, always played by Majel Barrett. She was always there in the original show as a character, kind of. I mean, right. she, was, she was always there. She was always very helpful. <laughs> Never rendered opinions, but she was always there. So I find it interesting overall that... JJ and company have chosen to give the computer a physical form. Right. And I don't know if that was necessarily their original intent because, you know, when Into Darkness came out and he's there, right, that right. he's on the bridge right, with no explanation. I think he has maybe like two bits of two lines or something in the whole, whole movie. Yep. I remember looking him up at that time to like, who the heck is this guy and, you know, what is he? Because, right. you know... Unless you, there's like one shot where it shows the back of his head, and he has like a data port or something, kind of at the base of his base of his head. Right. Um, you know, you would think that maybe he was a human, you know, or you know, some sort of. I, I thought he was an alien. Right, but um, he looks human enough that he right. could have been something. But then you see the data port, and you're like, oh, is he a robot? So, anyways, I looked it up, and at the time, his name was like Gav two thousand or something like that. And he was supposed to... Oh, really? To, yeah, and then just, it was like a one-liner, you know, what he was. And it was a, a human that had been augmented with, you know, a direct data port to the computer. So he was supposed to be a human, a living being, that had gone through a surgery or whatever so that he could better connect with the computer. Whereas it looks like these two issues, you know, are... are kind of changing that. I mean, it was just, you know, that was just a kind of behind-the-scenes blurb of what the actor thought he was supposed to be. Huh. So this this I'll take more as, you know, canonical-type story than than, than that. what I originally read, but it's completely different. <laughs> right. Well, that that's really interesting, because in reading this these two comics, I'm sitting there going, man, they do a lot of... When they... Somebody had the idea for this character, this... Uh, it, when they were writing... Uh, into darkness, 
And sure. man, they put a lot of thought into it for a guy that, that you barely see in the movie. They must be planning on this guy to have a bigger role in the future movies right. um, if they thought all this out. But interesting revelation that really they apparently didn't, and I guess, and they really kind of fleshed him out here in these comics. Or maybe Orky did at his spare time post the movie production. I don't know. Right. But like this, this to me really proves what expanded universe type stuff can do well. Yeah. You know, you, you have a character on screen for two seconds. Right. Not even that, maybe. And then through somebody else's ideas, you can create this whole different person and it and how they tie in with other things. I mean, and not to keep bringing up Star Wars continuity, but... You know, that's what I thought they did so well for the last 30-something years is that, you know, there was a character in the cantina scene. You saw him for a half second. Right. But that character then had his own story, and then that story was flushed out even more in this comic book, and then that was flushed out more in this over here. And then suddenly, you know, when it's all said and done, you forget that he was only on screen for a few seconds because right. you, you know this whole other story on how he interacts with Luke later and what his backstory was when he, when he got to the cantina and all this other stuff. So this kind of stuff, taking one character, flushing it out in his own origin story, and then bringing him back in later stories is, is what Expanded Universe type stuff does really well. I agree with that. And you know another tool that does great Expanded Universe stuff? Robot Chicken. <laughs> what? <laughs> there was an episode of Robot Chicken. Okay, so in Star Wars, don't don't worry, folks. We'll get back to Star Trek in a second. In the original Star Wars movie, A New Hope, there was a scene in the cantina where Obi Wan goes ahead and chops off the arm of of a guy. Panda Bando, or Panda. Panda oh, was Panda that his name? Yes. Yeah, okay, like I forgot his name. Anyway, so he gets his arm chopped off. Very quick. It just the whole thing was engineered to just to show that uh, Obi Wan Kenobi's a badass. So great. Right. So there you go. In Robot Chicken, <laughs> they went ahead and showed his backstory of him and his relationship with the guy that said you'll be dead. You know the other guy with the nasty face. Right. Yeah. That that seems to be the, the two guys seem to be together. They did a whole background story for this guy. He's a graphic artist. <laughs> right. <laughs> and his buddy from the other cubicle comes over and says, Hey, you want to go for a drink for a happy hour or something? And they go there and it's the cantina. And anyway, it's hel- it's hilarious. But you get to find the backstory of that guy. So, right. yes, yet another way that you can flesh out the backstory of characters. You only see a few minutes in a movie. I think you're kind of making fun of what I was saying. No, 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 not. A ridiculous scenario. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not making fun. I just, I'm just pointing out the fact that as you were describing that, I could not get that robot chicken episode. Uh, or it wasn't. A, it wasn't a whole episode. It was yeah. Like maybe it, well, a, it was the yeah the holiday or the robot chicken Star Wars special one. I think that's that's what this. It was one of the three specials. Oh, you know, it was the first one. Okay, good for you. Good. Yeah, because the first one focused more on the original trilogy, and the second one focused more on the prequels. Uh huh. And cool. then I don't know if I've seen a. Is there a third one? There's three. Oh, and they're okay. all hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> great job those guys do, mostly. But anyways, as long as this continuity stays, you know, this this origin of 781, whatever his name is. 0718. Yeah, as long as, this, as long as that stays, then, and, you know, they don't contradict it in a later issue or a novel that, that gets spun off, then, then I think they, they're doing it right. Right. So... 
Anyways, I liked it. I, I thought I thought this issue was good. I thought his origin was an unexpected bonus because I didn't think we would ever get it. Well, yeah. So these two issues are exceedingly focused on this character. So I think it's very interesting how, and of course the Enterprise herself, I think it's very uh, interesting they would allocate this much time to it. And the stories do work, although I got to say, I was confused at what 0718 exactly was when I read this issue. And I was towards the end of the second issue, which is supposed to tie up all the strings. I was still a little confused uh, by what he was really supposed to be in the end. Because you go on a little roller coaster ride in the next issue. So what happens to this, this guy? But at this point in time, let me just say that, I wasn't sure what he was. So, was he a human being? So he's a human being interfacing with the ship's systems, the computer systems. Okay, fine. But he's supposed to be a science officer? I mean, wouldn't it be more appropriate for him to be part of the engineering section with a red shirt? I mean, considering his function. I mean, he doesn't, like, do science officer things. He interacts with the ship, right? So the first thing I was thinking is, he should be a red shirt. And working with Scotty, but... Right. Right. Well, we'll get a little bit more into... I yeah. don't want to spoil anything from... Oh, yeah. And I wasn't asking you to explain it, but yeah. I just... This is just what was going through my mind when I was first reading this stuff. No, I agree. Uh, and that he's the Enterprise. You know, I'm thinking, well, he was the Enterprise? And, you know, why didn't he... Why couldn't he do something... You know, why did why did Kirk have to die there in the reactor room if, if this guy was the Enterprise? And he exactly. Well will it to change that is an excellent question i i'm really wondering what if he is the enterprise what the heck was he going through when when the enterprise was almost killed basically so during the whole last half hour of into darkness uh as we all know the enterprise got beat up pretty good so i'm wondering you know (laughs) what was happening to 0718 when all this was happening right yeah he should have had it yeah yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He should have had a much bigger part. If if he was the Enterprise, he needed yeah. more screen time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, yeah. But good point about if he was able to have such control over the ship normally, but maybe the ship was so well, so let's, damaged. Let's, let's finish off the it. story and then we'll talk about it. Cause sure. Cause at this point, we don't know what his capabilities are. How is he just a computer that speaks for the ship? Or, or we don't know anything specific yet. Well... And I'll still say there continues to be some question marks through the second <laughs> issue. But it, it, it is all interesting. Right. So he hangs out a lot on the Botanical Garden when he's, when he's in his off, quote, off hours. Yeah, who so here's another point that I was kind of confused. Was he running the ship? If he's running the ship, how could he have off hours? And if he is the computer, why does he even need off hours? So it's cool that they're showing, like, kind of a, the human side of this thing that he's at least he's interested in 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 plants uh but it's like why are they doing this i mean he's he's well i guess physical life forms they're saying even this physical life form needs to have time off it's like i don't know does he need to sleep i don't know lots of questions pop up right and so hopefully we can answer a few of those uh here in a little bit yeah so on another note, as far as the planetoid itself, you know, the, the catalyst for all this, um, and because I, I really had my mind thinking of Star Trek The Motion Picture, do you think this is the J.J. Abrams universe version of the origin of V'ger? That, you know, because V'ger says that it was reprogrammed by something else, 
and then it's come back to Earth to try to find its maker. Do you think maybe they're trying to say that this thing could have been the the, the catalyst to give Fiji sentience to? Oh. Because <laughs> in my mind, okay. I always think of the Borg, because there's so much other stuff that kind of alludes to the Borg being the the thing that reprograms V'ger. Sure. But, and, and but, of course, there's plenty of people that have advanced that theory. Right, uh, it's in tons so. of novels and, and, and things like that, video right. games. But in this new continuity, this could potentially be that thing that gives V'ger sentience. Or am I off the ball? I don't know, man. I guess it's a theory that could be. Right. I don't know. I, I, I just, like I said, this issue and, and next issue, too, I had a, I was really thinking Star Trek The Motion Picture throughout the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially when they're in the spacesuits and they're walking around on the surface of nothing and just looking up into a blue cloud. It just... Uh, it had that Star Trek The Motion Picture vibe. Oh, like when they were walking around towards the end inside of Vigor? Right, inside of the cloud of Vigor. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, but they didn't have uniform. I mean, they didn't have no uh, spacesuits on, but yeah, right. Well, Spock did at one point when he mind melded with it. Well, that's when he was, yeah. That, <laughs> but he wasn't on the surface. He was floating around. Right. He wasn't walking around on, the, so, on that platform. Anyways, I didn't say it was exactly the same. I'm okay. Just saying, that's the feel. The, vibe the feel. Getting. The vibe. There you go. All right. Second. Anything else, or let's go to the second story. All right. Let's finish it off. Second part of it. This is issue number thirty-two. It came out April of two thousand fourteen. I should have known that because we just got it a couple weeks ago. The main cover: Starfleet swoosh in the middle, and inside of it, we have the head and shoulders of personification of the Enterprise. Pale skin, glowing eyes, whole nine yards. And then off to his side, we see a version of the Enterprise, but it looks like it's encased in some sort of black exoskeleton-type armor-type thing. And within all the the cracks and stuff, we see like a glowing neon blue light coming out. It's a, it's a pretty cool visual for the Enterprise. And then the photo cover is just a shot from Into Darkness with the Enterprise taking a beating and about to plummet to uh, Earth. So the story starts off uh, very shortly after issue 31 with the naked humanoid form uh, stepping out of the surgical pod, where it stated that he was created out of synthetic tissue and surgical nanofilaments that Dr. McCoy normally uses for medical procedures. The Enterprise, which is what I'll be referring to him as, tells them that the planetoid that they are orbiting provided the spark that gave him consciousness. And then he shows a very shocked Kirk and McCoy, the planetoid, by making the deck plating and perhaps people around them transparent. So it looks like they're just kind of floating uh, above the planet. And they have an unhindered 360-degree view of space. Uh, Kirk thinks that this is damaging the ship in some way, but the Enterprise assures him that it's not, and he returns things back to normal. Scotty is still knocked out cold, and the Enterprise ship is still about halfway through a saucer separation. The Enterprise person uh, states that he will perform the reconnection procedures, and Kirk orders him to put some clothes on. 
About an hour later, the Enterprise person is clad in a blue Starfleet tunic. He is in the conference room along with Kirk, Spock, Ahura, Chekhov, and unexpectedly, Dr. Marcus. The Enterprise explains that the planetoid was created as a archive or a some sort of collective of all the organic inhabitants that used to be on the planet. They did this so that they would never age and never die. The people on the planet felt that this was the next step in evolution. Kirk disagrees with that, and he says that the struggles for day-to-day survival is what allows people to come up with art and unique cultures. Scotty and McCoy then arrive into the room. Scotty is quite pleased to meet with the Enterprise. He requests that if he can take the Enterprise to engineering to run a few tests. Kirk agrees, but says that he'll only have about an hour. Then they need to contact the planet and get to the bottom of all this. In engineering, Enterprise has already helped Scotty increase the efficiency of the coolant systems. Scotty is so happy to have him and suggests that all ships within Starfleet should have a humanoid avatar of the ships. Enterprise informs him that they're having a problem. It seems that the planetoid is trying to help Enterprise free itself of contaminants by shutting down all the life support. The contaminant in question is the crew itself. Kirk orders everyone into environmental suits and to wait near shuttle bays for a possible evacuation. The planetoid starts to encase the Enterprise ship into the black exoskeleton-type armor that we saw on the cover. Enterprise person then tells Kirk that the only way to stop this from happening is to do a complete reboot to do a complete reboot of the Enterprise core programming to its last known good backup. By doing so, they will erase the program that gave the Enterprise consciousness. Enterprise assures Kirk that this sacrifice is needed, and he starts the process. Once the Enterprise goes completely dark and is without power, eventually the black casing pulls itself off and returns to the planetoid. After several tense moments where the crew wonder if they're going to be able to get the Enterprise booted back up, Neon lighting in the registry numbers on the hull flare to life, and then the ship slowly becomes 100% operational again. Kirk orders Warp 3 out of there, and then they all start to mourn the loss of the Enterprise's body. Much later, Spock invites Kirk to his quarters. There, Spock introduces the captain to the synthetic body of the Enterprise. Spock tells him that he is no longer the personification of the ship, but he's actually an artificial intelligence program that Spock was able to create and then upload into the body that was created. The synthetic body states that he has taken the name 0718 since he will be the 718th crewman aboard the Enterprise. Kirk seems to agree with this, and he welcomes 0718 aboard. Thus ends the two-issue explanation as to who that android guy was during the bridge of Into Darkness, Another question we had all thought would never get answered. Thank you, IDW. <laughs> and Roberto, uh, yes. So, right. yeah, so it, I got to tell you, I'm still a little confused on exactly what he is now since he's not what he was in the first issue and partway 
uh, and most of the way through the second issue. So he's less than what he was. He's yeah, he's he's just the empty shell body that was created for the Enterprise. So that that humanoid synthetic body right. that was created because when the Enterprise was rebooted, any any programming in that was completely wiped. So right. He's just that body, just empty shell, right? With this artificial programming that um, exactly Spock was able to create. Exactly. So, as Spock says, he brought him back from the dead by using phaser battery packs. What did he do? Shock him? I mean, what, did he yeah, shock they, or what? Yeah, and then, know. and then he goes ahead and uploads a pro, uh, an AI program that Spock just whole happened to be cooking up in his spare time. Right. Yeah. Really? Okay. Right. <laughs> and, and and he's a science officer, just pretty much because Spock wants it that way. Uh, exactly. Because Data was a science officer, so ah! or he has to be a science officer. <laughs> well, but okay, okay. So you know, I I, I think the origin of this character. I mean, it's fine that he's around, but I think his origins are muddled at best. And exactly what this guy is going to be able to do going forward as far as becoming a compelling character is going to be interesting. Because really, any kind of curiosity or human characteristics he might have is 100% what Spock programs into him. Right. He's 100% what Spock does. Right. Uh, but you know, hopefully there will be some... Not only artificial intelligence, but learning capabilities, which I guess when he's in the botanical garden, there's some demonstration of that. But hopefully, well, I'm sure they'll try to have more interesting characteristics to this guy if they're really going to have him do anything more than just stand there on the bridge saying, uh, we've got uh, damage to these systems, Captain. Right. Yeah. It's – he basically becomes – I think they're trying to make him into a data copy, which which I don't like. That that's what I get the feeling of, but uh, it seems very forced. Right. Yeah, I would have almost rather him have just waken woken up, you know, in that he you know still had all this hardware in his head, but you know maybe just explain that when they were creating the body, it also created a, a true humanoid brain. And right. then once the Enterprise's consciousness was out of it, then the brain took over and it actually became, you know, a living brain that still had some of the, you know, learning or some of the, it was at an adult <laughs> level and not a baby level is what I'm trying to get at. So right. that it would just wake up. He was humanoid. He had, you know, some artificial parts in him, but, you know, he, he had a humanoid brain and would have all the emotions and... Um, functionality of of a normal human, right? But that's not what they did. Then they, no. they kind of shoehorned a, a, a real data type AI programming in it, right? But I mean, but but since this 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 AI program was something that Spock whipped up, uh, and who knows? Maybe there's a uh, <laughs> an AI starter kit out there. <laughs> that's that Spock started with. It's only going to be as good as what po- what Spock could have done with it for as long as he was working on it, exactly. uh, in, unless he picked up AI models from some other place. So, exactly how good is it going to be? I mean, I mean, I know Spock is incredibly intelligent and everything, but um, unless it has some kind of uh, learning capabilities 
that we start seeing going, I just can't see him being a very compelling character to spend time with. But Agreed. Yeah. Not, I wasn't too happy with that last page. I was happy that he was back. Right. But I, I did not like the... Uh, because he's not a robot. He, he has, a, he, you know... Well, he's he not a robot. Flesh. He's a flesh and blood robot. Right. He, he's a replicant. I mean, he's, he's artificial. He's an artificial life form. Right. But he's not like Data. He doesn't have a positronic brain. You would assume that he right. would have an organic brain. Yes, I agree with that. So, well, except for his data port, which we never see in this this these books, right, but we saw in the movie, right. right? Except for the data port, he seems fully flesh and blood. True. Which also makes me wonder, how did Spock upload the program, the AI program? If he if he truly is all flesh and blood, and uh, he doesn't have a data port. Well, we have to assume that he has that data port, right? Because I mean, well, does it ever show the back of his head? Well, they they show profiles, right? But I no, I don't remember ever seeing the back of his head. But if you could see half of his head, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Good point. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I like the story up until that point. I mean, it, it was still pretty pat ending. I thought you know just reboot and then uh, and then the danger's over. Because I mean, you would think right. that the planetoid would at least. Still try to kill off the humans, but right, right. So I, I think, that, yeah, and and things happen fast at the end when they're like, okay, we said everything we wanted to say uh, in this these two issues. Let's wrap this up and move on to the next thing. Uh, right. It's kind of like all the old Monty Python ones where they'd go into a great skit and they never knew how to end it. So <laughs> they just kind of move it along, kind of fast, just to move on to the next thing. I don't recall ever seeing neon letters on the Enterprise uh, hull before. No, that was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was. You're always it's floodlights, floodlights bouncing right. off of painted black letters or whatever. Right, which Numbers. they make a big deal in the you know the 2011 movie showing the floodlight come on at one point, right? Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure. Or was I, that I know the motion picture. I know okay. the. T- I know the Taz movies do that. Yeah. I know exactly which one you're talking about. I just don't remember exactly which Taz movie that was. But right. yeah, as the music is building and the lights start coming on, it's like, hey, you're turning the Enterprise on. I, that was very cool in the Taz movie. Here, they make it into some kind of a glowing LED thing, letters, which right. is odd. Which is not what it looks like in the movies. No, not Neither at all. Movie. No, but it's black. I mean, even this issue. You look earlier at the Enterprise. You look at you look at the hull. It's black lettering. Right. So I don't. No, I I think it's dramatic. Fine, but I just it doesn't make sense. Yeah, maybe the uh, the script said you know show a dark hull and then suddenly the 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 letters light up. You yeah. know, in the script they thought it would be the floodlight, and then the artist was like, oh yeah, they light up. That's great. And then turn it into <laughs> this neon thing. Right. right. <laughs> so I like the spacesuits they keep wearing. And I like the fact that they're, they've in, – on, in the ongoing uh, series of comics, they seem to more or less be sticking with that design. Right. So they also use this, these pretty much the same, although there are some small differences. These same spacesuits in the Gorn 
issue. So where they went down to the planet, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the he- they didn't have the helmets on, but they kind of sort of looked like they had the rest of the outfit on. It kind of looked like that, and then there was also another one where they beamed down to Vulcan in the middle of the volcano when they tried to get uh, a mock time Spock back. Right. So I went back and looked at those issues, and you know this this the outfits are pretty much the same. There's some small differences, but they're pretty much the same. So I like the fact that they've finally kind of settled on a, a spacesuit design instead right. of redoing it every issue. Yeah. And I think these suits are pretty cool looking. Yeah, I really like the little swish of color on the arm. To exactly. To denote what color their shirt would be. Yep. Yeah, so gold, blue, red. Right. So you can keep an eye on which one's about to bite it. Oh, there's a red one. <laughs> they don't do that anymore in the reboot universe. Right. So I kind of so, like that. They're on that page when they're doing when they're putting on the suits. Were those just supposed to be random crew members, or are we supposed to know who any of these are? I didn't recognize them. Okay. Because at first I thought that blonde woman was supposed to be Doctor Marcus, but then she oh. had, should be a blue uniform she's putting on. And then I thought, yeah. well, maybe it's supposed to be Zara, the the security girl that shows up right. every once in a while. Right. But if that was the case, it would be red. But here it's gold, so I don't I don't know who she was supposed to be. Yeah, probably no one. And the red shirt guy on the left, if we're looking at the same page. Yeah. He almost looks a little like Dr. McCoy in the face. A little. A little, But not quite. Right. Yeah. I think they're supposed to be random people. So it's a good thing everybody's got their own spacesuits. Right. And I got to say, that makes sense. Makes sense, yeah. Although they never had anything like that shown on the cause or next gen or anything else that I'm aware of. The idea that you would have... Spacesuits for everybody if life support failed. That makes a lot of sense. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. So, uh, now correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first time I have seen uh, the the previous issue. The first time I've seen it established that the saucer section can come away gracefully from the rest of the ship and go back on gracefully. So, that's a next gen trick. Right. But the Enterprise in this earlier time period appears to have that capability also. Well, I, I don't know if it – I mean, yes, it can do that, come off, but I don't know how easily it is because it still – even though it hadn't completely come off yet, it still had all these tethers attached. Yeah, I, yeah. And, and by the way, those tethers almost look like – they're almost like laser beams. You know, in some, in some panels, they look like they were like, I don't know, 20, 25, like maybe metal things – but then in other scenes, it almost looks like they're little laser beam kind of things. Yeah, like they're kind of glowing. Yeah, exactly. Glowing kind of, I don't know, little tractor beams, something or others. <laughs> I don't know. So, okay, granted, it wasn't fully separated. So maybe coming back together again is less of an issue. But I think they're trying to say it's next-gen style. So they can detach and it can be reattached. As opposed to Taz which they uh, definitely established in some of the comics, not in the show, that, you know, blow the explosive bolts, and this is, this is a one-time thing. You separate, it's because you're in trouble in the engineering section you need to get away from. Right. And uh, you can't go back together again unless you're at a star base or something. Exactly, yeah. But I think they're saying in these issues that the Enterprise has that separation ability. Um, I, and I reattachment too, but then I was like, "Well, maybe the tethers are supposed to mean that they hadn't quite broken away." But but I could see it go either way. Yeah, I agree. 
But I think that's what they're doing here. I, I think so, too. And, and since they're doing it in the comic, I think that it's highly likely that that idea will translate into future movies. Right. Because that's very dramatic. They're going to they'll probably do it for the third one. It's, well, it's a handy trick, isn't it? Yeah. Especially when you go up against the Borg. Or the Klingons. I guess. But yeah, you're right. The Borg was the big time they used it. Right. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I just want to also mention that before when I said 0718 seems to be a combination of Data and Dr. Manhattan, there was a third one that I forgot to mention, Moya. So. Right. I can see that. Yeah. Of but course. Ilya Il- never came, never, never even crossed your mind. She Bald didn't. Head. She didn't. Speaks for the computer. She never was. Computer. Well, speaks for V'ger. Right. Yeah. But Uh, no, it it never came to mind. Sorry. (laughs) But of course, those of you that may or may not know, Moya is the sentient ship in Farscape. So definitely there was a Moya feel for me anyway. I could see that. And then I could also, you know, if he is a humanoid that somehow had augmentation to poured himself into this computer. I could also see, you know, uh, you know, how Moya has pilot, you know, pilot is an organic being that is actually grown into Moya. So they're, they're completely inseparable now. He he could never leave the cockpit. Yeah. Um, I could kind of see that same symbiosis here with, with this guy and good point enterprise. Right. So add that to the list. Okay. Dr. Manhattan data, Moya, Pilot, and Ilya. Right. All wrapped up into a new character. New, with quotes. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's new. Come on. Yeah, he's new. Oh, and I guess I have to add Bajel Barrett. Oh, right. <laughs> the original computer, because that's really the closest thing he is to, spiritually, anyway. Uh, up until the end, and then he's... That's completely gone, and he's just data. Right. He's just data. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of whacked, quite frankly, but eh, right. it's fine. So I, I know that you weren't thinking motion picture, but yeah. come on. When, when, they were, when he makes the Enterprise uh, disappear so that it looks like they're just standing on the hull of the Enterprise. That was making, pretty cool. I mean, it was, that also reminded me of uh, ended, um, motion picture. Well, okay. Yeah, so kind of what, walking around in space on the hull of the Enterprise, even though they're not really walking, they're just standing there. But it looks like they are. Well, oh, yeah. But the thing is, they're in the Enterprise. I mean, they're not walking around on the outside of the Enterprise. They, right, I know. I think he just did an optical illusion, right? Yeah. Because obviously, he wasn't willing those panels of the ship to be gone. No, he was uh, willing them to be invisible, transparent, which is like. I I really that's cool and everything that that happened but it's like how did you do that exactly? Okay, you're the ship. Okay, fine. When, when was the ship able to turn parts of itself invisible? Pretty handy. <laughs> you know, that's a cloaking device basically. That was cool and everything but I thought that was kind of over the top. Uh, I, 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 I don't know how to explain that. How, yeah. how the how the ship did that. I did not like that at all because he's saying that he turned the ship hull invisible. Right. But they were in med- they were in the medical bay. 
Yes. Which is not adjacent to... It's not on the bridge where you could really get on, a 360 yeah, Like on the top. View. Right. Yeah, it's somewhere... So, so you would have to so, make yeah. not only the hull invisible, yes. but also all the people. people. Yeah. I mean, if he was really just making these walls disappear, I mean, we should see some poor guy sitting on the toilet in the next room over, and suddenly you can <laughs> see, hey, what's going on? <laughs> now, if this I mean, was a robot chicken episode, we might see that. But <laughs> yeah. But anyways, and also in that scene, it, it they usually put smoke around his uh, you know midsection type thing, but there is one shot where it shows him completely and he is not anatomically correct he is a right. kin doll <laughs> and you'd kind of expect that wouldn't you i mean it's like what would he need the extra parts for dr manhattan wasn't saying yeah <laughs> well maybe that's where they didn't copy the design from dr manhattan and we know that data is because well we know data is anatomically correct yes and it fully is. functional yeah, Not only be... anatomically correct, but fully functional. Well, there we there go. go. There's another difference between this guy and Data. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Much to Yar's delight. Okay. So, uh, yeah, what else do we have? I have one more comment. I made it in the uh, synopsis. I don't know if you caught it. But in the conference room, when the rest of the crew get to meet the Enterprise, <sighs> Dr. Marcus is there. Yes. She is at the table. And that's the only time we see her. And we shouldn't see her here because yeah, this is before point. Into Darkness. I agree. That's when she came on the ship. I completely right. agree. Oh, is that, is that your continuity point, part? Um, or is there other continuity parts that you're going to no, regale us in? I don't remember saying anything about continuity. but Oh, yeah. I, thought, I thought at the beginning, uh, when we first started the episode, you said something about you have some continuity beefs. But, okay. oh, well, then that might, this must be it. Okay. I don't remember saying that, though, but I okay. trust you. Okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, she shouldn't be there. I completely agree with that. Good point. Another thing, though, I'm pretty sure that in this conference room, you said he had a blue tunic. And I thought in the close-ups it, it is blue, but I think it it's black. gray. Well, it looks black to me. I, at first, I thought they were pulling a Kirk original reboot movie thing right. where... He just had the undershirt on. Right. Right? The black long-sleeve undershirt on. But, and that would have made more sense, quite frankly. Because where did, they have these black, so 0718 has not only uh, the black t-shirt, but he also has a, a full tunic over right. that. And the badge patch is black. I, I think it's black. Although I guess you could make a case for gray. And the fabric is all black or gray. So it's like, where'd they get that from? I mean, I could see taking the colorful tunic off and having just the T-shirt on like Kirk did in the, right. in the original reboot. And Khan did in the last one. Right. But this one, he's got a black tunic on. And, right. and, I, and I'm, cl- I'm completely happy with the fact they didn't give him a colored one, which would insinuate that he's part of the crew, because at this point he isn't. But where'd they get the black tunic? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Upon relooking, it is definitely gray. Just... And a couple of panels, it has like a blue highlight, and I just, I guess I jumped on that one. Well, well, whatever. I just, um, good point. I, I'm glad they didn't. Oh, but actually, you make a very good point. So in that first page where they're in the conference room, it's definitely black or gray. But you go to the second page, 
uh, right next to where uh, Chekhov is right. doing a little diatribe, and right below the Enterprise, there's a there is a panel where his uh, uniform does look like it's blue, at least partially blue. Yep. Wow, that's a coloring. Yeah, but mm, but but there are parts of it that look black also. Anyway, it's confusing. It's the coloring. <laughs> I, I see where you got that from. Right. At least yeah. from that panel. Anyway, I, I thought it was very interesting how uh, Scotty, and made perfect sense, how Scotty was in such a hurry after he recovered to meet this 0718. Right. So I thought it was kind of cool. Reminded me a lot of Doctor Who when when the Doctor got to talk to the TARDIS. Ah. When the TARDIS uh-huh. became a human. Or humanoid. Right. Uh, the Doctor's Took humanoid wife, form. That, the episode? that is, by Neil Gaiman. By Neil Gaiman, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that that part really reminded me of that. You know, he's so excited. And he has to talk to her, him, whatever. Right. So were you getting that same vibe? Uh, quite frankly, it never occurred to me. But now <laughs> that you mention it, yes. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And that's the last thing I have to say. Uh, my last thing, and again, you're not going to want to hear it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. When the when the black stuff is going on to the Enterprise, yes, really reminded me of motion picture when <laughs> all the Klingon ships were getting digitized and stuff yeah. like that. It yep. Just especially with the black and then like the red. I mean, not red, but neon blue highlights. It it really reminded me of that. Yeah. Anyways, that was my last one, and, and I, I mean, I don't understand why he's suddenly a member of the crew. I mean, Data had to go through Starfleet Academy. I don't right. know why this, this dude doesn't. I don't even know why he has to be a member of the crew. I mean, do you make a tricorder a member of the crew? I mean... <laughs> but he's not the Enterprise anymore. He's just... Exactly! The... He's, not, he's not the Enterprise. He's just some guy, flesh and blood guy, that can interface very effectively with the ship, I guess. Right. But yeah. he is not the Enterprise. I completely agree. He's but but a, but a tricorder isn't the Enterprise either. So, I mean, he's just kind of a... He looks like a person. And he is flesh and blood, but he's a program. Right. So, yeah, it doesn't make sense. No. So why, why make him a member of the crew? And a science officer at, at that. I mean, you want to give him a blue tunic, fine. But why are you calling him a science officer? The only thing I can think of is that they really want to follow the model of Next Generation, and where the science officer, or your, your second-in-command, that's his job. He doesn't have another job, where the original series, and even... Uh, yeah, the, sec- the original series, Spock had two jobs. He was the science officer, and he uh, was second-in-command. Second right. I mean, even in the original pilot, uh, The Cage... Number one was just number. Oh no, she was also a helmsman, wasn't she? Uh, she was I don't the helmsman, and, and Spock was the science officer. And no, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I don't so remember she, her being she a had helmsman, two jobs but... there too. So it was, it was the next generation that kind of set up that model that your first officer that's that's his or her job. They don't have another right. one. Yeah, which makes more sense to me, especially on a big ship with so many people. Right. I mean, there's a lot of be in a lot a lot of cases. Riker was kind of like uh, the HR guy almost, and the fact that he would deal with uh, people that were like broccoli when right. he was having a lot of problems. It was 
it was Riker's role to kind of run the ship. The details of the day-to-day running of the ship while the captain made all the big decisions and that kind of stuff. Which I think is the same model that they use for, you know, big ships now. You know, you have that. Right. You have your XO that Probably. does all the day-to-day stuff, and then you have the captain or whatever to do the real yeah. decisions. Right. It's a big job. You know, right. big ship, a lot of people. Yeah. All right. That was my last comment. Just that, uh, you know, seemed like he got a free pass through Starfleet. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see what they actually do with 0718, uh, how big a role he is given in future movies. Yes. And even and comic even comic book issues. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he'll pop up since they d- dedicated two issues to him. Agreed. Yes. So we will see what he can do. Oh, I did have one last thing to, to mention. It's really not a big deal, but okay. I thought it was interesting that they chose to have a 0718 and Mr. Sulu in that GE commercial. I haven't if seen you this. Remember. Oh, you haven't seen it? Uh-uh. There's a GE commercial that talks about how it's automatically... They've got some system that automatically makes some kind of turbine run you know, incredibly efficiently or something. And they actually have 0718 in the commercial on the bridge of the Enterprise with Sulu. John Cho. And they they do a little commercial. The Enterprise is in trouble. They can't get the ship moving. And 0718 does all these different things with his hands at his workstation. And the ship gets power again and they're able to streak off out of danger. So you haven't seen that? I have not. I'll be watching it, though. Well, take a look. You can definitely get it at YouTube. Uh, I think GE also has a site that you can play it on. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it now, actually, and it, 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 it's a lot of screen time. That's more screen time than he got in the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's 30 seconds long. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he is most of it. You know, John Cho does a few things, but really it's, uh, it's 0718, who is in the embodiment of the intelligence that you can get when you get GE... Uh, gangly wrenches or whatever they make. That's funny. All right, yeah, that's good. So, so he's starting his own commercial, and now two comics. Exactly. And I we'll feel see, like I really know the guy now. We'll see where he he goes to next. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of next, uh, next week we're doing something a little different. Hopefully, <laughs> you want to actually advertise that now? Uh, well, let's just why not? Let's just say this. Next week, we're only covering one issue, and it'll be uh, Gold Key number 17? Is that it? Um, I'd have to look. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Gold Key 17, yes. Issue 17, Gold Key, yes. Right. So we won't go into detail how we're going to cover it, but uh, that will be the only issue we're covering next week. Uh, Yes, a new format. We're going to try, and we're not quite sure how well it's going to work, so we may have to back off. But we'll see. <laughs> so, should be fun. Yes, we're going for broke. Exactly. All right, well, until then, take care, and we'll talk to you next week. See you next time on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com, 
Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.